Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan. We are back and refreshed after a week off, getting ready for a full NFL offseason. So let's not delay. Let's introduce the guys. He's excited to see Monday Night Football's new broadcast crew of Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. Sam Blackett is with us. What's going on, dude? I've never been more happy not to have TV. <laughs> Uh, he's excited to watch grown men run around in their underwear this weekend. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, dude? Not much. As long as uh, no uh, Chris Jones incidents happen, I think I think uh, things will be just fine. And I am Sean Deegan, and I now more than ever regret trying to go into radio and not TV. Let's go ahead and get to things, guys. We've been off for a minute. Uh, dodged a lot of the drama that went on and are finally going to just be able to talk some football uh, about the Kansas City Chiefs and maybe the NFL around the uh, the nation. So let's get to it. Brett Veach and Andy Reid both spoke at the Combine today uh, around 1245 Arrowhead time. And not a ton. Brett Veach is getting pretty good at general manager speak which is a little irritating because he used to be really transparent and give you a lot. And today it was, it was definitely more having to glean from what he said and not just getting actual answers from what he said. So let's try to cut through some stuff here. Uh, first thing that was, I guess, of note of, out of the things that he said, you know, the, the Chiefs did release Anthony Hitchens late last week. Not a move that we're going to spend a ton of time on because I think we all expected it. I think we've been talking about it even during the season that this was probably going to be Anthony Hitchens' last year with the Chiefs. So they did make that official. But Brett Veach did say in his press conference today that, you know, the NFL's a, a weird place and that you never know what can happen, essentially, was the gist of what he said, and that, you know, there's always a chance Anthony Hitchens could end up back with the Chiefs. Rather than going to... Do you think that that's actually going to happen, which is, I think, the, le- the less interesting route to go? Let's focus on how you guys would feel about that. If the Chiefs did bring Anthony Hitchens back um, and left Nick, and, and leave you know Nick Bolton as the mic, because I think we agree that's Nick Bolton's route to success, is to be the Mike linebacker on this team. But if Anthony Hitchens comes back to the Chiefs, would you be okay with that? How would you feel about that reunion at a at a lesser contract? Um, Jacob, we'll start with you. No, unless he's coaching linebackers, we don't need anybody blocking Gay or Bolton. I I don't think they're a squad. You know, we know Spagnuolo is the defense coordinator next year. We know they essentially run a lot of nickel sets or two linebackers, and when they need a third guy, they usually drop the safety. And that guy was. Usually Dan Sorensen, he's also somebody that goes without saying should be in the same boat as Anthony Hitchens. It's time to be young and fast. We don't need Anthony Hitchens blocking any playing time of anyone because we both know that Spags has some weird loyalty to veterans. Sam, what about you? If there was a reunion or like a one-year deal with Anthony Hitchens at a significantly less than cost, would you be okay with that? When I first saw that, I kind of thought, you know, if if it's a veterans minimum type deal, obviously he's not going to go for veterans minimum, but some that that kind of situation where it's real low, it's like oh, it's, it's a veteran presence. But yeah, Spags has some kind of weird obsession with playing guys that 
have experience but don't have the physical tools anymore. Because Anthony Hitchens at one time could play just as well as anybody and be a serviceable linebacker. Today he's just kind of getting older and slower, and he's just not what we need. Um, I would, like Jacob said, I would much prefer to see younger, maybe inexperienced guys that have all the physical tools and allow them to – because we've seen what Nick, a combination of Nick Bolton and Willie Gay, their athleticism, and even though they're a little raw, they both just have the athleticism and, and ability to make up for the, the mental mistakes that they're still working through. For me, I wouldn't be upset about it. I wouldn't be thrilled. Like, it's not something I'm like, all right, well, I'm glad they brought Hitchens back and, and you know, the contract that fits his his play level at this point. If they brought him back, I think it'd be fine as long as he was playing that Sam role, the, you know, the, the strong side linebacker. I don't think it's what he's best suited for, though, just because that guy is typically going to be one that plays closer to the line of scrim- scrimmage, blitzes more, takes on blocks. I don't think that's Hitchens' game necessarily. It wouldn't again. It wouldn't bother me so much as long as when they go to a nickel, it's Bolton and Gay. When they go to a dime, it's either Willie Gay or a safety. I, I don't think it's if he ended up taking time away from Bolton like he did this past year, then I think it's a problem. So it wouldn't bother me, but it, it wouldn't excite me, and it would. I, I share your guys' concerns that Spagnolo might fall in love with the veteran presence again. The next thing that Veach discussed, and this is a more immediate impact, not just for what the Chiefs will do on the field this coming year with the offensive line, but one that could impact what they're able to put around, like the defense or the you know other offensive weapons, and that's going to be the extension of Orlando Brown Jr. He was asked pretty directly, do you anticipate using the franchise tag on Orlando Brown, he said, yeah, I would I would anticipate that that's going to be the case with the thought that that will give them more time and lengthen their uh, extension talks. It's not uncommon for that to happen. Typically, when the Chiefs use a franchise tag, it's been to trade, so this will be the first time they've tagged someone with the hope of getting them through uh, to an extension. My question to you guys is, do you think it would be to the Chiefs' benefit to once he's tagged, go ahead and work out the extension, get him the new contract, or would you want to see him play it out one more year at left tackle, get a full season uh, where he's now comfortable in this system and playing with Patrick Mahomes, having that dynamic kind of down pat, knowing each other's tendencies? How, how would you feel? Do you want him to play through on a tag, or you want to get him under contract ASAP? Um, Sam, we'll start with you. I feel like it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation with him because I feel like his performance this last year and, and don't don't get it twisted. Orlando Brown Jr. is going to get paid, but it's a matter of how much he's going to get paid is the big question. And if he would have got a contract straight after coming from the Ravens, you're looking at one of one of the top two probably paid tackles in the league, which he did not play up to last year. Um, obviously we saw a great improvement at the end of the year, but there were a lot of flaws. And, and I think they saw that, you know, he's not as a lead of a talent maybe as, as what they kind of brought him in as, as what kind of was expected when he played with the Ravens. Cause he looked amazing with the Ravens, but it was just that different of a system. And he's still, like I said, not disparaging it 
Orlando Brown Jr. He's still a very good left tackle, but he's not what I think we thought we were getting. If we went back to when we traded for him, what we all thought we were getting was just, all right, that side of the line is sure to never have to think about it again, and that wasn't the case. So in this type of situation, you're looking at paying him now. I think you will be able to get a discount. Again, I'm not saying it's cheap, but when you're looking at the performance of last year, you are looking at a guy that still played well, but didn't play up to the standards that I think we expected it. The guy that wants to be the top paid tackle. In the league. So what you're gambling now is he goes into this season. You don't pay him on the franchise tag and you've got, or you, you let the franchise tag ride out and you've got two options or two things could happen. Realistically, one, we see that the, the continued improvement within the offense, the more, more, comfort level in the offense and he looks like the tackle we traded for and guess what you're paying him as the top left tackle in the game or you're going to see a similar situation last year and two years of game film of not elite level play means that that discount gets even heavier so for me i i think because i think keeping him on the team is is a valuable resource i would like to see I would actually like to see the play out the franchise tag, not because I don't want to keep him on the team, because I'd like to pay him. I want to pay him enough to keep him around for a while. I don't want a revolving door left tackle anymore. Um, which really haven't had, but I don't want to see that start happening of just guys coming in and out like we used to see before Eric Fisher came in. Um, and so I'd play the tag out because it gives us a little more money to play with. I think free agency wise. Um, do you know how much it affects our free agency with that tag? Do you have any idea? Or? I can tell you. It, I think it's, you know, let me go to over the cap real quick. It gives us, I think it would give us a little opportunity to play around in free agency a little bit more. Again, you're going to continue seeing the salary cap up. So I think you can then manage to pay him if he is deserving of the, the highest tackle contract. You can probably pay him that. And if not, we get a better deal. So the franchise tender, according to over the cap, for a left tackle is like sixteen point six million this year. So again, and now the thing to keep in mind with that is that that is all guaranteed up front. So you kind of negate the ability to do what the Chiefs have seemingly liked to do, which is that first year is a lower cap number, and then it escalates really big in the middle and then kind of drops off when low guaranteed money at the end where they have a little flexibility to move on from that contract. So, so that's kind of where you'd be at with that. Jacob, what about you? Where, where do you stand on playing out the franchise tag with Orlando Brown jr. Versus giving an extension now? Uh, I'd like to start by saying Brandon Albert and Willie both offended by Sam's discussion about the revolving left tackle door. I mean, between Brandon, uh, Brandon Albert and, and Willie Wolf was like Jordan black. And Damian McIntosh. Like, like, yeah. There was a period there where that left tackle spot was just, okay, who's going to get in the way of the end for three seconds before he hits our quarterback? Three seconds is very generous, Sam. Generous. Damian McIntosh wasn't blocking anybody for three seconds. My true feelings, I think, were revealed when I heard the news because I was like, I was happy. I thought, I think that's the best route because – if you really want to spin it on a Chiefs homer look, you can say, okay, you franchise him, he goes out there, he makes improvements, 
well, you're paying an elite left tackle at that point. You're happy. You've got the guy in your building. He's going to stick with you. We know that he has a good relationship here. We, we all have too much time on our hands and look at Patrick Mahomes' bachelor party and saw that Orlando Brown was there. Don't act like you, you didn't. You all saw him. So was, so was Jarek McKinnon, so you guys can rejoice, <laughs> which essentially means he's signed, even though uh, Patrick Mahomes hung out with Chris Conley quite a bit. Uh, and then on it the flip side, on, is is he going to be like uh, Dieter status or <laughs> just practice status? squad constantly? Yeah. <laughs> How much hangout time are we talking? <laughs> just practice squad off and on, yeah. I don't know. Is it is it the closest to Patrick Mahomes? Is it like I am number no Hancock Hitchcock Hancock? Which one is it? The Will Smith movie Hancock. The, the closer you are to Patrick Mahomes, the more you lose your powers. So that's why everyone close to him is is not good at things. <laughs> yeah, his wife's a pretty successful businesswoman. Was like a former, like was like a semi-pro soccer player at one point. Like, they sure. just lost all their ability sure. to understand how to interact within a media standpoint. <laughs> sure, I don't. I don't want this to become the reaction to any Patrick Mahomes family people. So I'm just going to kill it there. <laughs> We don't need any more of it, so I'm killing it there. But on the flip side, like I said, if he comes out and he plays the same, being in the same boat I don't think is a bad thing. But like Sam said, you probably would get a discount. Right now, I don't think Orlando Brown thinks that he's worth any less than a top five NFL left tackle. Is he a top five left tackle? I don't know. He's He's... He's close, but I don't know that I could say that he's exactly in the top five. So I think Sam's right. More evaluation. And the other thing is, the biggest reason a lot of people like, you have to sign him is because they traded for him. If you get one more year out of him, you can justify more and more of, hey, next year you could walk on him and not feel as bad. You're like, you know what, we got two years out of it. Didn't really give up that much draft capital since they moved down one round, the first to the second. So I think you can spin it and look at it as a win-win. Ultimately, I think it's the best option that they had. Other than the salary cap, like you said, Sean, because that's $16 million right off the books. Versus if you sign long-term, they'd probably do, like you said, Sean, like this first year, give them 10. Next year, give them 17. Following year, give them 23. Next year, after that, 27. So, yeah. It is interesting, but I think ultimately it's the right move. I am in favor of signing him long-term right now, and and here's why. One is the cap, uh, because I think it allows more flexibility if you sign him long-term, and you're able in that way you can start putting other weapons around Patrick Mahomes, get that, that legitimate number two receiver that we keep talking about. Maybe they're able to work something out, get a corner um, to, if not, pair with Charvarius Ward, uh, replace Charvarius Ward if they're not going to re-sign him, uh, you know, edge help, maybe even a, a linebacker to play that third linebacker spot, um, or safety help, because God knows they're going to need it if they don't bring back Tyron Matthew, or just to re-sign their own guys. I think that flexibility is a big thing. Also, I, I do think that, Sam, to your point, I think you might actually be able to get him cheaper now than if he does improve like let's say like he plays a full 17 games next season the way he played like the last eight of this year 
he's immediately more expensive because he is so he that's that's a full year of not dominant left tackle play but really really good left tackle play uh and the last thing is i was i to your point jacob about who like the top five tackles like where is he trent williams is a top paid left tackle david bakhtiari is behind him larry laramie tunsil is third in terms of total contract value average per year not total dollars but average per year i think you'd make an argument that those three guys you might rather have than Orlando Brown Jr. Although Laramie Tunsil was part of an offensive line that allowed Deshaun Watson to get just obliterated. So who knows how much that was Laramie versus the rest of the offensive line. After that, Ronnie Staley is next, and Colton Miller of the Raiders is after that. Would you rather have either of those guys than Orlando Brown Jr.? I don't think I would. Ronnie Staley, like, talent-wise, might be more of a prototypical left tackle, but he's never on the field. Lamar Jackson was running for his life again this season because Ronnie Staley got hurt again. So I think there's a legitimate argument to be made that if Orlando Brown Jr. plays a full season the way he played the last eight games of the year, he's absolutely a top-five left tackle. I think the only thing he has left to do is, is figure out a way to minimize speed rushers how they beat him to the outside because i think and i've been reading a lot of seth kaiser so i might be really feeling it feeling orlando brown jr here lately but when you watch like a lot of the stuff that kaiser puts together he talks about how orlando brown jr really doesn't get beat to the inside if you try to go through him with a bull rush you're not going anywhere really the only way you're able to beat him is around the edge and if you're if that's the only way you beat him I think that's worth paying him right now because I think he could very well be a name that ends up in that top five conversation, especially if you wait um, and he becomes even more expensive down the road. So that would be my rationale behind go ahead and get that contract done. Now, make sure he stays in Kansas City. He's still incredibly young uh, for a, a left tackle or for any NFL player, but a left tackle especially. Let's go ahead and get that contract locked up now. I, I do want to clarify. I had to go back and look it up. Uh, there was two seasons. One was the Jordan Black season. One was <sighs> the Dane McIntosh season. So Awful. there was at a time there was two seasons between Willie Rove and Brandon Albert. And then if you go look at the Eric Fisher stuff, that was Mister Consistency. Oh yeah, he was he was definitely not appreciated for how much he was on the field. And that's another reason to like Orlando Brown Jr. Like, he, he missed a game this year and really hasn't missed time prior to this season, and he missed a game. So I another reason to want a guy like that, because you see what happens with the Ravens with a guy like Ronnie Stanley, who's wildly talented and a top-tier left tackle when he's healthy, but he's never healthy. All right, let's move along away from the actual uh, press conferences that we heard Earlier today, as we're recording this on March 1st, Tuesday, uh, Chiefs have had a lot of change along their coaching staff in a place that I don't think we anticipated that happening. On the offensive side of things, there has been actually kind of minimal change and really is more of a bring the boys back together, if anything else. Uh, there was a lot of drama while we were out with the whole Eric Bieniemy 
there's that, that blog post that ended up getting taken down about it, where, where is the enemy's status with this team, all that jazz. I'm not really going to get into that tonight. But as of right now, Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator, will be the offensive coordinator for 2022 for the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, hoping to get a head coaching job after this coming season. And then also the Kansas City Chiefs, to fill the quarterback coach position left by Mike Kafka, brought in a familiar face in Matt Nagy, former quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator of the Chiefs, and most recently head coach of the Chicago Bears. So my question to you guys is, how are we feeling about it? We've had a little time to digest this. We took a week off last week. We kind of got, thank God, because I didn't want to talk about any of that drama last week. But we've had a time to kind of digest things, get a feel for where we're at. How do we feel about this? Jacob, we'll flip things back around again, and we'll start with you. How do we feel about that combination of Eric Bieniemy at offensive coordinator and Mac Nagy as your quarterback's coach? First off, it uh, does make me kind of happy that – and I know this is almost counter to what we do, but it does make me happy that the tinfoil hat Chiefs media coverage that happens now took a big kick to the the crotch of you can't just put things out there that aren't true or things that you're speculating or your source has it. So that did make me happy that that fake news didn't, infiltrate the sports world though the feelings around it i'm sure won't change because that's how these things work as we all know you could tell a person it wasn't real but they're going to believe what they want to believe anyway but i mean andy reed came out and said there's no fighting so we we at least know that i do like matt Nagy. again any guy that can make mitch trubisky look like an equivalent to patrick mahomes like i said in previous week in the sense of people were comparing their first years of starting, saying, look what Mitch is doing. And this one, he threw five touchdowns today. He's just as good as Patrick Mahomes. There's something there with, with Matt Nagy. Again, one thing, cautionary tale, though, is he lost his players in Chicago. Hopefully, whatever happened there doesn't happen to him here. And then one of the biggest reactions that I've seen kind of under the radar, but a couple of people are mentioning is that, you can rule out Allen Robinson as a free agent target because I don't think he's going to want to be in the same building as Matt Nagy. Those of you that don't know, him and Matt Nagy did not get along at all. And to the point of, I was reading Matt Nagy ghosted Allen Robinson at one point through the cell phone. So go ahead and cross Allen Robinson off your list and look back at whoever else it was you had, whether it was Juju or... Mike Williams, because Allen Robinson ain't happening anymore as much as all of us want it. I just traded for Juju in my dynasty fantasy football league in anticipation of that once Matt Nagy was named offensive coordinator. So I'm really banking on that one coming through. Uh, Sam, what about you? How do you feel about the combination of Eric Bieniemy and Matt Nagy now? It's kind of one of those moves. Yeah, I would love to just know what these guys actually do within that within that coaching kind of carousel because like quarterbacks coach what is a quarterbacks coach in the nfl like obviously you've got one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl what what or he's not teaching them anything i understand helping him break down film but i think in reality what it what it it's three 
two assistants at this point, one obviously being your offensive coordinator and now quarterback coach, who are both head coach quality, head coach quality candidates, basically, on, on the same coaching staff. It's potential move to bring some stability to the offensive playbook, maybe. Because, um, obviously, the last season, we've never seen Matt Nagy really with Patrick Mahomes save one game um, with Denver Broncos at the end of – or with his last season with us. Um, obviously, he coached Alex Smith, which was going to be a much more conservative – not obviously still an Andy Reid offense, but didn't have the abilities of what open the offense. Maybe it's uh, – okay – Let's take some of what Matt Nagy brings, which is a more consistent, more, I think, prototypical passing game uh, of what we think of and mix some of that into it and see if we can stabilize the offense to the point where we're not seeing these crazy peaks and crazy valleys that we saw this last year. Of everything's working perfectly. Nothing's working. And maybe get it kind of leveled out where you're instead of valleys, you're kind of at a just level point and then, you get the crazy Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so I, it, it can't hurt. I, I guess is my thing. It's there's nothing wrong with this move. I don't think, except for not getting Allen Robinson. I guess is the biggest negative. For me, the only thing I hope, well, my hope is twofold. One, I do think that coaching an elite quarterback has to be one of the toughest jobs because they are elite and they've been so successful at doing one thing that if you're trying to get them to improve. On, on something that might seem mundane, I, I have to imagine that is not easy. Uh, but I, I think if there's a guy that could do it, it'd be Matt Nagy. To your point, Jacob, Mitchell Trubisky had a season where he had a 66.6 completion percentage. At that point, 666, Bears should have known something bad was coming. But he had 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, a 2-1 to one TD to INT ratio there. Uh, didn't throw for a lot of yards, you know, 3,200 yards and change. but a good season for a quarterback that I don't think a lot of people were like, Oh yeah, he's, he's going to be truly great after seeing what guys like Sean Watson, Lamar Jackson and, and Patrick Mahomes did, but also Alex Smith's best season of his career came with Matt Nagy as the offensive coordinator. You know, Alex Smith his last year in Kansas city in 2017 put up a 67.5 completion percentage with 4,000 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, five picks. Like He had a tremendous year. And if you can bring something like that back to the offense, where Nagy is able to bring the most out of his quarterbacks, get the absolute max of their value, uh, of their value, I'm talking like a fantasy player, uh, the max abilities that they have and get the most out of it. I think that's a huge, a huge win back to the coaching staff. I have heard some people frustrated that it's, you know, kind of the old boys and I get it. Like it's, it's not a new face. It's nothing. It's not a new voice the way we've talked about in the same way. But also the other thing is, is that under Matt Nagy as the offensive coordinator, the chiefs uh, led the, had a, the league leader in rushing yards with Kareem Hunt. I am hopeful that Nagy can bring some of that back, even as a quarterback's coach, just maybe in the offensive coaches meetings, be like, look, Patrick's seeing th- you know, three man boxes, you know, three down linemen, four down linemen, and everybody else is dropping. 
you invested a first round pick in this guy Clyde Edwards Alaire, who's pretty good. Let's let's see what he can do. Those are my two hopes with bringing Matt Nagy back. Can he bring some of those elements of the rushing game back? Again, he's not an offensive coordinator or running backs coach, but hopefully he can bring some of those elements back while getting the absolute maximum out of Patrick Mahomes' abilities, which is a ceiling that I think we, we would all be very excited to see uh, what the most would be there. All right, I've kind of tipped my hand on, on the next topic, so I, I won't give a, a super huge answer to this next question because I already kind of did. Uh, but what do you guys think that Matt Nagy can bring to this offense? I've, I've mentioned the rushing as, as something I'm hoping to see. What about you guys? What do you hope that Matt Nagy can bring back to the offense? If it's something scheme specific, is it something, you know, just with Patrick Mahomes? How do you guys feel about it? Sam, we'll start with you this time. I would love to say that I remember everything about watching Matt Nagy's offenses <laughs> from 2017-2017. But we all know that would be a complete and total lie. <laughs> like, as effective as Matt Nagy's offenses were, there wasn't a whole lot special about them besides Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey. Like, it's not like it, it's not like today where you're like, holy crap, you remember when Patrick Mahomes did this or Patrick Mahomes did that. So it's like I can't pinpoint specific aspects of what Matt Nagy did that made him obviously a successful coach and I was not going to be caught dead watching Bears football so that's the last three years are wasted as well um but my mine is is i guess a, a different different brain or different voice within that offensive scheme and and kind of when when they're creating the game plan just a different view of a guy that that may call plays differently that does have a different style of game planning than what we see Enemy and andy reed do because obviously Andy Reid respects Matt Nagy a lot. That's kind of what I talked about in our, on our last podcast is the threat of bringing a young guy in is not that I don't think Andy Reid would listen to him. It's that would he have the confidence to type up and talk back to Andy Reid or tell him that's not a good idea. I imagine Aunt Matt Nagy uh, has enough relationship with, with Andy Reid that they can have those kind of conversations, and I feel like that's where – the consistency that I was kind of mentioning when when I talked about when he's coming on could could be a potential add-on with his addition to the coaching staff. It's just a, a level of consistency, leveling out the offense, not seeing the highs and lows is kind of what I mentioned. Jacob, what about you? Is there anything that you'd like to see Matt Nagy bring to this offense, uh, whether something in the past or maybe something new, uh, that we could see here in this coming season. I know a lot of people would say they'd like for them to bring back Kareem Hunt, but I would say I'm not sure that's a. Well, you act. might be able to. Ernest Johnson, I'll tell you right now, looked pretty good, and Kareem Hunt's real expensive. So, for our backup running back, so hey, doors always open. And I, I'd like to also say that I'd like to also say that Matt Nagy has way more of a commitment to the run than Eric Dini ever did. And that's how I felt what I was seeing in Chicago was a commitment to the running backs. And then 
just looked it up. Totally not true. Because <laughs> the Chiefs have rushed since 2017. This was the year they rushed them all the most attempts. So I don't know percent of snaps, but still, it should be pretty comparable based on how far they went in the season. But it's tough to say. I, I hope what he brings is something that can get Patrick Mahomes reined back in. I know I hear on the radio and the national perspective about Patrick Mahomes' footwork being broken. And I'm not sure it's so much the footwork as it is the mental work of keep your feet inside the pocket, stop running. So I hope whatever it is that has Mahomes panicked is what Matt Nagy can bring back to him because we have the quarterback perspective back in the room of a college college quarterback now talking to him again. I will lob out. I don't know if it's so much – Seth – again, I'm going to reference people who are smarter than me. And know football better than me, but Seth Kaiser mentioned this, and I and it made me start thinking about the offensive line as a whole when Patrick Mahomes first started getting there. You have Eric Fisher and uh, Mitchell Schwartz at left ta- at left and right tackle. Right, Eric Fisher was great about allowing Patrick Mahomes to drop very deep because Eric Fisher, laterally and backwards, was a tremendous athlete. Like for a left tackle, he had great lateral movement. Was very quick and fast to his spot. Was able to just shuffle guys around and not really allow them to bend back inside to go get Patrick Mahomes. Mitchell Schwartz just stonewall people and allows Patrick Mahomes to do what he likes best, which is roll to his right. We saw a lot of that this year. Patrick Mahomes is trying to take really deep drops and then roll to his right. And when you have Andrew Wiley at right tackle versus Mitchell Schwartz and Orlando Brown Jr. at left tackle versus Eric Fisher, that style may not work very well. So maybe it is as simple as like, hey, Patrick, look, here's who we've got at tackles. This is what you got to do. And we started to see that as the season went on. Maybe, to your point, Jacob, it's just something that the Chiefs can solidify. Maybe Nagy is the voice to get to get to Patrick Mahomes on that one. Last thing on the coaches, and then we'll wrap things up with a little, a very brief combine discussion. Uh, I mentioned at the top of this that a lot of the changes that we've seen have actually come on the defensive side of the ball when it comes to the coaching staff. They have a new defensive line coach in Joel Cullen. Uh, Matt House left to be the defensive coordinator at LSU, and they moved Brendan Daly, formerly the defensive line coach, to a linebacker's coaching position. Uh, Sam Madison, a cornerback's coach, left to go to Miami, which is closer to home, his former team, all that good stuff. Makes total sense. And then... The Chiefs promoted Donald, I'm going to butcher this name, Delisio to safeties coach, who was a defensive assistant previously. And that was as specific as his title got. They didn't actually, as far as I know to this point, name a replacement for Sam Madison as cornerbacks coach. You have to imagine Dave Merritt's going to take some of that, but no specific replacement for Madison. Joe Collins, an interesting name because based on things I've read, Things I've heard from people who are smarter than me say that he has primarily worked out of a 3-4 defensive front. Brendan Daly to a linebackers coach um, when he's previously a defensive line coach is interesting. A lot of changes along here. How do you think that this could impact the team? Do you, uh, you know, 
Andy Reid talked about in his press conference today that he doesn't anticipate, you know, Spags making any drastic changes like to a 3-4 or anything like that, which is where I thought maybe this was going. But it doesn't sound like it's going to be that way. So how do you think the defensive coaching changes could affect this team? Um, Jacob, we'll flip things again and start with you this time. Well, if you're a tinfoil hat Twitter person, you think that it means that Josh Allen has already been traded for for the Chiefs. <laughs> God, I wish. <laughs> Wait, we're going to have Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen? Yep. Both, both of them are going to be in Kansas City. It's the weirdest Josh. wildcat formation you've ever seen. Instead of multiple running backs, it's multiple quarterbacks. I want you guys to get your hopes up. I am talking about the Bills, Josh Allen. But they're bringing him in to play defensive tight ends. He's yeah. the <laughs> fair play. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I he's, athletic, he's athletic, athletic enough. Yeah. I saw this debate on Twitter and started a firestorm between two people that I do not know talking about. It wasn't even about the hiring of Colin. It was about whether or not Hassan Riddick could play for the Chiefs. You know, they're like he's a three-four DN. There's, yeah, he's a 3-4 linebacker. He can't play in the system. Like I said, these two gentlemen duked it out, started hurling personal insults about their level of knowledge of football at each other. Again, it's like, hey, listen, none of us play in the NFL, so none of us really know. So, gentlemen, settle down. Again, I think that works, so I got to see the aftermath once I started looking at it again. But my only simple point was, D Ford played when Bob Sutton was here in a 3-4. Guys that are not molded for a, perf- a, sit- a defense, they'll find a way to put talent on the field. D Ford could rush. We know he could set an edge. They find a way to make it happen. So, and, and also on top of that, we've, we've talked about this a lot, of 3-4, 4-3, teams mix it up so much now that there's really no commitment to if you don't have if you're not set with a three four squad you can't do it. Now do some teams have better personnel to run a three four? So like Tampa for example, Vita Vea, that guy is perfect as a nose in a three four because he just eats up space. But this point doesn't really matter. Teams mix it up all the time. Sam, what about you? How do you think the changes along the defensive coaching staff could affect this team going forward? So, firstly, I think this is probably a relative normality when you look at most teams where lower-level coaches turn over probably quicker than what we've seen with the Chiefs. And I think – I imagine that's partly to do with Andy Reid, but also success. People want to stay with a successful franchise, and when they get their opportunity to move up, we've seen several of our lower-level – say lower-level coaches are still NFL coaches – move up into defensive coordinator positions, either in college or, or the pros, uh, get opportunities to move to teams that are closer to home, um, things of that nature. So I, I think that maybe if you look at some other teams, that this turnover probably isn't as abnormal as we – it kind of is this year where we just had a lot. I mean, maybe it just kind of all fell into one time because we just haven't really had a lot of turnover like that. On our, on our staffing, we don't see that very often, and maybe it was just time for everybody to kind of get that refresh. <laughs> Again, I think you can look at it two ways. One, you've got new voices. You, you can never have enough intelligence within a coaching staff 
um, and different ideas, bringing it in um, as long as the coordinators are willing to listen and adapt to changing that, which I think Spags, again, has been in the NFL for a long time. So that's obviously not something he's has any issue doing. I imagine he is a very, very adept listener and, and takes in all the knowledge he can. Um, the other way you can look at it is this is a, a kind of a hot seat year for, for Spags. I, I think this is, if we see this turnover can, can point to, okay, if we'll give Spags the benefit of the doubts, uh, benefit of the doubt that maybe lower level coaching was not living up to what we needed to for the positional players. Let's turn it over. And if we see the same result this next year, then maybe it's not necessarily lower level coaches and we might see a turnover with the Spags. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think first one was probably what more likely is happening, but um, it is a pot. I mean, after kind of a disappointing specifically start to the season, um, several years in a row now, I think we're looking for consistency with Spags and that's a possibility of what, what this could be is just, okay, we've ruled out one aspect of it. Now we've got one remaining consistent. Let's see if it, if it continues to, to stay consistent. And if it does, we found the, the root of the issue there. So here's how I hope this affects the team. Cause I think your point about turnover, Sam is a good one. Here's how I hope it affects the team. I hope what this means is that Spags will look at defensive line help and not be as committed to 6'4", 260 long arms. If there's like a Melvin Ingram type that's available, can set an edge and really get after the quarterback with speed. Because I think that's kind of what's been missing. Jacob, you've been pounding the table more than anybody out of any of us to bring in a different type of edge rusher, a speed rusher. And I think that you saw where Melvin Ingram isn't the same kind of rusher that he was in his prime in San Diego. And then when they moved to LA, he still, I think beat guys with speed more often than anybody else on the defensive line for the chiefs. I'm hoping that bringing in a guy like Colin, Moving Brendan Daly, a defensive line coach, to linebacker means that they are also willing to look at guys who maybe don't fit what's kind of become known as the Spags mold for a defensive edge and are willing to look at guys maybe like a Josh Allen, who is more of a 3-4 outside linebacker type, um, and, and, and allow that guy to be the edge rusher. Because as long as that guy can set a decent edge – if he can really get after the quarterback and, and not just be a complete liability in the run game, that's valuable. And I feel like maybe that's what's been missing from the Chiefs defensive front is that guy who can really just blow off the edge and, and get to the quarterback with speed and explosivity. All right, last topic for the night, and we will get out of here for this week. Uh, the NFL Combine did kick things off today. As Again, we're recording this here on Tuesday, March 1st. We're going to start to see guys getting measurements, going to team meetings, all that good stuff. There was a, a moment there where we weren't going to get that. There was a threat of, because the NFL decided they were going to, at the last minute, uh, really a couple weeks before the combine started, 
They were going to change all of the rules, put players into a bubble, separate them from their trainers, their agents, the entourages that they come with, try and help them prepare and be in the best possible condition that they could uh, to, to be ready for this time of their life. And the NFL players, uh, well, excuse me, the, the prospects' agents, not the players themselves, but the agents, kind of came together and really started banging on the drum to say, hey, this is not okay. And the NFL caved. They did go, you know what, we'll just leave it as is. Everybody just do their thing. We'll, we'll keep it as a normal combine. Having seen that, what was your guys' reaction to that whole story once you saw it? Um, when you had a chance to look at that and see, wow, the NFL actually caved on something. Um, Sam, we'll come to you first. What was your reaction to the whole threat of the lockout? We're not actually going to change any rules. Everybody's back in. To be completely honest, I didn't see it until you sent it to us. Uh, I, didn't, I, I imagine I didn't see it because it was such a non-issue. It, it, it's ridiculous to me that the NFL has done generally a very good job in regards to the pandemic. Everything we've had to deal with with COVID, I think – the NFL has managed to work with the players well to understand what what is necessary for these for these guys to do their job and to, to make money and, and continue this uh, billion dollar organization or, or corporation going. So it, it kind of blows me away looking at it that they would try to look at your next level of uh, next generation of stars and just say, yeah, yeah, no, you, you don't get a all these guys that you spent money on to train you and to feed you and, and, to, and basically represent you, you don't get to see them for a week. Um, that's just kind of asinine to me that they wouldn't put more thought into that bubble because the bubble is not a bad idea. Let's be honest. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. So let's not get things twisted. But the fact that they didn't put any other thought into it other than, yep, we're just going to put all these guys into one room and, no one else gets to see him besides the camera crews. Like, come on. That's just, it, it just, it's kind of pathetic. And I, I don't, it, it can be, it's more confusing to me than anything. So it doesn't surprise me at all that the NFL cave, because it literally sounded like a last minute idea that they were just like, yeah, let's try to see if they'll, they'll go for this. So we, we make sure that the combine goes off without a hitch, without putting any other. Jay, what about you? What was your reaction to the story and kind of how everything went down? Well, thankfully, the NFL has a perfect example of what not to do with Major League Baseball right now. So I think they looked at it and said, yeah, maybe we shouldn't even threaten a lockout because essentially everyone in Major League Baseball is saying, you know, we weren't watching or making a huge effort to watch anyway. Now we're really not going to do it. So NFL doesn't need to go to a lockout. They don't need to lose any sort of fans or money. Plus, they canceled if they canceled the first two weeks of the NFL season, there might be riots. And last question here before we wrap things up. No, the drills have not begun as we're recording this right now, but they are going to start going fast and furious, and we're going to have the whole how much stock do you put into the combine results versus what you saw on film. So there have been guys like Don Tari Poe being a big example in Chiefs history where on film he didn't look like an elite player and yet came onto the field and made a really big impact while he was healthy with the Kansas City Chiefs at nose tackle. So knowing all of that, what 
drills do you think could give the most information to you about a player? What are the things you watch and go, I'm going to glean the most information from seeing the success or failure within these drills? Um, we'll flip things around. Jacob, we'll start with you. You know, I'm not the Oakland Raiders. I know, Vegas Raiders. I'm not the Oakland Raiders. And I don't get all hyped about the NFL Combine and, you know, go after Hayward Bay because of his 40 time or look at Jamarcus Russell throw a football 95 yards from his knees and think that that translates to the football field because if you throw the ball from your knees when you're, when you're down, you're probably not going to get over your offensive line. Anyway. The sad thing is they cut those videos just short enough where you didn't see him eating an entire rotisserie chicken right before you. <laughs> uh, I think you mean as an appetizer because I think you probably downed like six of them. <laughs> I was a large man who became larger. I'd like to get on that level. <laughs> anyway, all, all joking aside, I'd like to say that I don't invest in looking at the 40 times and the number of bench press reps because I'm always interested. It's almost a challenge as a man to see how many bench press reps these guys can do because you always have that thought in the back of your mind. Oh, I could, I could do that many. I could be a backup punter in the NFL. No, I don't. Ask me how many times I've repped 225 in my life. <laughs> Sean, how many times have you repped 225 in your life? Is it, is it as many times as Kevin Durant? It's, it's less. It's less. It's fewer times than Kevin Durant by a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do look at them. Do I buy into it fully? No, but have there been years like Don Tari Poe where I was like, if there's anybody that can get this guy to make sense, it's Romeo Cornell. He's a big man who's very strong and very fast. And hey, it worked for a couple of years. And then he went to Dallas and it was over, so... Yeah, I do like the bench press and the 40 just because I'm a fan of athleticism, but also fully embrace that. It essentially means nothing when it comes to does it translate to being a good football player. Sam, what about you? What drill or drills do you look at to try and glean the most information from? Yeah, there's Jacob's right there. The Oakland Raiders are the only franchise that goes into the draft or into the combine looking for the guy they're going to draft. Like most teams have an idea of, you know, where we have these guys on our list, the combine kind of, it, it, it's an aspect that they utilize to parse out who they want to actually take. And there are some drills that, you know, when you compare offensive linemen, lateral quickness, when you look at the guys doing the, um, oh, whatever, the 15 yard shuttle, that can play into it shows lateral quickness. It shows how athletic these guys actually are, how flexible their hips are. So there is, when you're comparing, if you're going down to two con potential candidates that you're interested in drafting, you can start looking at information like that and, and it, it can play a role, but they, they've diagnosed so much tape. They've watched these guys so much that it's minimal at this point for, for the, the everyday man. I mean, what we can we can watch freak athletes do things that we would never even dream of being able to do. Um, I don't know if, if if none of you if you're new to football and you've never watched Miles Garrett's uh, combine, go watch him. Just be ridiculous because that man is 
just a freak of nature. So it, I, I've always, I think the combine is anymore. It is the, okay, NFL's over. How can we keep money coming in at this point? And yeah, sure, sure. Guy, guy runs a four two forty. He's going to raise his draft stock a little bit, even if it's for going from an undrafted free agent to a seventh or sixth round pick. That's great. That's awesome for him. But it's not not the end all be all for me. But if if I had to pick one, um, just to so I don't just swerve your question entirely, I would I would say drills that show lateral quickness, drills that show the general athleticism, not just running a straight line or benching doing a, a lift that literally does not translate at all. But literally bench is the worst aspect of, Hey, this does not apply to football <laughs> in any sense whatsoever. Um, so uh, the shuttle drills, the you're watching the cornerbacks that watching their, um, when they're doing the, the hip flips, uh, that kind of drills. I, I was an offensive lineman, so I don't know the names of the drills that the fast people do. They're, they were never something I did. Uh, but just the, the ones where it, it is showing their flexibility and, and ability to move on the field because that's that's the stuff that translates, not the how fast are you in a straight line. I will echo Unless your Tyreek Hill because that, that translates very well. Yes. That is a different thing. Uh I will echo your short shuttle, three cone, anything that's short area quickness, but I would say specifically for like defensive linemen, because I think especially right now with the Chiefs like wanting more speed and bend on the edge, I think getting defensive linemen who have lateral agility and lateral fluidity is is a big deal because I think right now you see guys who are more power and but maybe a little bit more stiff, don't really bend around the edge very well. And then also just anything explosivity, like vertical, broad jump, see what, see how explosive someone can be. I think those are things that can translate. So those would be things that I'd watch. The 40 and the branch press are fun, but they're not, they're, they're entertainment. And folks, this is how you know Sean really has a problem because I actually did these drills and I couldn't think of the names of them. <laughs> Sean rattled the names off. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't play. I the same thought when Sean asked the question. I was like, I don't know that I could name more than like two drills. <laughs> I I definitely have a sickness, an addiction, and I also have no interest in curing it at all. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us tonight. We appreciate you joining us. We are back in full force, and we should be back for the rest of the offseason as things are hopefully going to start to pick up. We get into the combine now. Free agency is just a couple weeks away. Until next time, y'all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week.